Tanner. Tanner. Yeah. Tanner. Last week, spotlight was on Mason. Week before that, you got the let's get ready to the rumble from from myself. So this this week is your week, Tanner. You you got to start us off with just some some next level high energy. Now, when I edit this, I'm going to take out the silence that's about to exist between the two of us. I want you to think, how can I deliver high quality energy to the intro of cross training? Go. You are welcome to cross training where we look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. I'm your host, Tanner Higgins. Matthew Thompson. Mason Simmons. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. It's acceptable. I can't. Come on. No, but seriously, welcome to... (laughs) I can't do Ferris Bueller's days off. I'm sorry. But welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. So we're here. We've already introduced ourselves, but then I think you should know us if you don't know us by now. But uh, we're continuing on John, and uh, I just want to point out a few things about this chapter that we have been pointing out in previous chapters. So one of the things we like to say is it's a little spicy, a little spice in our little jambalaya. You know, we put a little spice, and Mason likes to put a little spice in his little soupy soup. We, I swear, we need to, if we're ever going to merchandise this show, spice. We, need, we need bingo cards that have stuff that all three of us say super regularly. <laughs> and for you, it's going to be like the word goulash and or jambalaya. Because, no, I'm making, uh, yeah. For, for me, it's True. at the end of the day. And I say yada yada. Yeah, I mean, we're all guilty and of Mason it. And Mason is spice. But needless to say, the past couple chapters, it has been pretty spicy. This chapter, I think... Is does it inherently have spice, but yet because humans like to mix things up a little bit, we put a little bitter spice in it, and it, it isn't digested well. In a we sense, we make that thing like Taco Bell. Yeah, it. We make it spicy, but in reality, the way that this chapter is presented, it's not really that spicy. It's actually really smooth and creamy beige that the Lord presents to us. I don't know if I like how this is going. Well, I'm just saying we make it bitter. We make it better. We make it spicy. Unnecessarily spicy. And also, before we, we get into it, um, I don't know what the percentage is of people that listen to podcasts and actually like read the show notes. Because me personally, like I've said it before, I listen to a thoroughly unnecessary amount of podcasts. And the amount of them that I actually read the show notes myself, not a very high percentage. It's, so if I'm not, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and assume that there are some listeners that don't. So just to clear something up. Uh, we, we had some audio issues a couple weeks ago. I think it lasted for two weeks, if memory serves, and then we fixed it. And then it happened again, and now it's fixed again. So you might be thinking, if you haven't been reading the notes and been reading my apologies at the beginning of them, uh, hey, so the, the sound sound sounds good this week. I've what also about been next apologizing week? on Facebook, too. Okay, Let me well, share it. So. Still, the issue was identified. It was fixed. However... I didn't know that the issue would happen every time that our recording laptop rebooted, which, I mean, we don't keep it on 24-7, so that's a thing. So now we know that it has to be fixed every time, so it will no longer be an issue. We dropped the ball. I'll, I'll stake my reputation on it. What's left of my reputation, I will stake on it. it. It will not happen again. So rest assured, everyone listening, you're, you're getting a non-echoey, top-notch banter from us from now on. Top-notch. Let's hope. I, there no, ain't no hope. This, this is a Matthew nice. Thompson guarantee. 
my reputation's already been staked on it. All right? Might not be that much to go around, but I'm, I'm, I'm staking it. I'm staking it. Your, your ears will be glistening with pristine. Yes. Pristine. Okay. We'll hold you to that to standard. We'll cut your pay, which is zero. Mm. Anyway, John, you, John, okay. John chapter 14. Let's get into it. Sorry. John chapter 14. This, uh, John chapter 14 is a very, to say that it's a good segue from John chapter 13 is pretty disingenuous because it's just a literal continuation of what was happening in John 13. Like we're, we're still in the same setting, the same thing's happening. And, and even though there are other chapters that we've gone through uh, so far in the book of John that pretty much go from like, okay, the end of this chapter leads directly to the next chapter. There's a thematic change that allows us to approach it differently. But this very much has the same feeling of John chapter 13. So we're, we're fresh after um, the, the feet washing took place where fresh after Judas has more or less been like exiled if you want to be honest here like it's been acknowledged that he's he's going to go and do his thing that's going to lead into certain events he's abandoned Christ exactly like the the devil was was let in and took the took the driver's wheel so that's where we're at right now so in scripture let's uh let's read verses one through four sound good do it all right, so John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know, and you know the way to where I am going. So, initial thoughts on this, because there is a... There's a verse there that I feel like some people have based their entire theology off of. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that, though. I mean, we, there's there's a lot to unpack within yeah. the first couple of verses anyways. Uh, the first thing I, I kind of wanted to point it out was the very first verse. I really like this because what did we talk about the last chapter within the echoey episode that we had? But yet, good, good stuff nonetheless. We've already had Judas' betrayal. We have the feet washing, the weird debacle there of the conversation between Jesus and Peter. We have Jesus telling Peter, hey, guess what? You're going to deny me, bro. And then also within within that whole context of the disciples that Jesus made it known. It's like, hey, you know, basically everyone's going to deny me. And like no one is going to be there with me. Everyone's just going to run away and be fearful. So very sombering feel of like disappointment, almost a crumbling heart of like, Boy, this sucks. You know, this is awful. But here Jesus says in verse 1, it's like a different turn. He said he tells all these bad things that are going to happen to him, that I'm about to die. I'm doing this to serve you. But then what does he say in verse 1? I'll read that again. Let not your hearts be troubled. Okay, so we got a little comfort here. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So within that first part of that verse one, let not your heart be troubled. He doesn't remove the pain in the situation that is before these disciples or before himself. But he says, you know, this stuff I can give you peace about even in the time of, it seems like it doesn't, it seems like there's no hope. And that second part, believe in God, you believe also in me, guess what? He's claiming his deity again. And instead of trusting and dwelling on your troubled heart, Jesus says that you need to place your trust in God and inherently will place your trust in him. Now, there are some debates, and I, I kind of want to hear y'all's conversations about this, but like the way that the verbiage is applied to this scripture, some scholars have placed it into two different verb tenses. And I place this in the notes, but yet the word believe, uh, the, the Greek is pisteo. 
And this phrase can either say, you must believe in God and you must believe in me, or you do believe in God, so you do believe in me. So do you think that could be, is there a conflict in between those two? There's not like a hardcore debate, but I'm just saying like there's some uh, people that discuss like, well, is it more of a, a command or more of like a cause and effect conversation of believing? So is Christ saying you must believe or it's like because you believe in God, you also believe in me? Is he being a little bit more aggressive or more passive with this statement of believing? Well, the tone of voice that I'm getting from that verse one, it seems that Jesus is aiming to comfort here. So I do think it's more of um, an encouraging than an urging, although obviously it could serve both purposes 100%. Um, but just the way that he's saying that, let not, don't, don't worry. Let not your hearts be troubled. Um, believe in God. Believe also in me. Like it's it's him offering an olive branch. Be like, don't lose hope. Like stuff's about, stuff's been kind of bad so far. Well, it's about to get a whole lot worse. Mm-hmm. But believe believe in God. Believe in me. Let not your heart be troubled. Like that that's I mean that's the message of that that verse there. So I think it's more of an encouraging tone of voice. And I'm going to do a little bit more of spiritual application within today's time, especially with the political climate. And we've off off record we do talk about politics from time to time. Yeah, math, math. That's a you know Matthew's second religion. <laughs> but all jokes aside, it seems right now that there's a lot of troubled hearts, not only with the political stuff but racial things as well. And I think it's important that we look to Christ and said, okay, He can bring peace about this. And a lot of a lot of people look towards one man to fix the problems. Look towards the president. Or look towards the pastor. Look towards a friend, but yet the true one that can really bring peace upon every situation in our lives is right here when he says, you know, peace I leave you and peace I give unto you. You know, let you not your heart be troubled. I think that's very important. We need to remember because we forget that, that Jesus is the one that brings peace upon our hearts. There's my, my preacher lesson. There may be another one. I'll put a little dime every time that I try to do a little application. I'm sorry. Basically, we need a worldwide theocratic, theocratical monarchy. That's the answer. Okay, the we're answer. not talking about politics here, bro. Too bad. Uh, but <laughs> when I was uh, initially reading this, uh, that verse one, when I was doing the initial study here, I don't know if either of you were present two weeks ago in Sunday morning service. Um, I think I was preaching somewhere. I wasn't here. I, don't know I think if... you were gone too, weren't you? Okay, well, there was a sermon preached by someone that wasn't Seth. I can't remember his name. Um, but he talked about like how people say that, that things are just so crazy now. The world's just so uh, drenched in sin. Everything's getting worse. The You can see the, the writing on the walls. Like, Jesus is going to have to come back because things can't possibly get any worse. Uh, and he was talking about how, like, that's ridiculous because things have always been crazy. I mean, you look in Scripture and stuff was crazy back then. Like, you want to know how crazy stuff has to get? Well, look at the story of Noah. And even then God was like, I'm not going to do that again. Like, mm-hmm. that that nuclear option is no longer on the table. So, like, that's... It is not our duty to worry about those sorts of things because there's work to be done here on earth now. Like, don't don't sit here and just think that it's not our responsibility to try and further God's kingdom in the face of adversity. Um, that so was th- Glenn Postum, by the way. Oh, okay. All Glenn right. Little caveat I too. I forgot his name. This this is totally non-scriptural. But he said he when I when I was younger and stuff like that, and he would come visit churches back when he was the 
what was the title that he had that Chris Dotson does now? Oh, state director. State director, yeah. He would go to different churches, and when my dad was pastor at Hardy's Chapel, he said I looked like a young Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) 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 And he would always call me Sly. So Glenn Poston, every time he, he sees me, he calls me Sly for some reason. So, But no, I do not look like Sylvester Stallone, just to point that out. I'm not freaking jacked, and I'm playing Rocky Balboa. Adrian. Anyway, sorry. There's a, there's a little just, sorry. But that that made me think of that uh, that sermon in particular uh, because just again the overall mood of that verse one like let not your hearts be troubled and keep in mind just the context of that like Jesus knows what's gonna happen and the disciples at least can like see that there's something in the water at this point like they maybe they're starting to like put two and two together on some of the various times where Jesus just casually been like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to die pretty soon guys. You know that? And the disciples just like, no, we don't know that. What on earth are you talking about? Jesus? Stop, stop saying such weird stuff. It makes me uncomfortable. I mean, that that's what it says in scripture. It made them uncomfortable uh, when he says in the past. So maybe the, they're starting to connect the dots there and be like, Oh shoot. Something, something's about to go down. Isn't it? Like Jesus over here washing our feet, giving us like some really final sounding instructions. Like what, What's going on? And then you have Jesus speaking through that, saying, don't don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Like, really just cutting down. Pretty much, um, what's the word? Condensing all of Scripture there into two sentences. Like, this is what you need to do. This is what... All of Scripture? Well, you know what I mean. Like, okay. it, <laughs> I try. But, but continuing on the thing that he says, you know, let not your heart be, be troubled, he continues on the giving assurance that Jesus knows what the heck he's doing. Because, I mean, I would be kind of confused if I was a disciple and heard some of the conversations or the words that's coming out of Jesus' mouth and, like, just sure confusion. And Jesus, being God himself, guess what? He knows He knows what happens after you die, just to let you know. So he's not, a fear, he's not afraid of what is to lie after Death. He actually states here in verses 2 and 3 about this one said thing called mansions. So let's talk about this mm. because I think this is a very interesting. Mansions! But does he say mansions? Okay, okay. This is where we're going to talk. This is where we're going to discuss this a little bit because I think it's uh, an interesting conversation here. So the word mansions, I'm going to give you a little bit of background here. So the word mansion itself, the correct, I, I wouldn't say correct, but more of an accurate translation of that, the word, Greek word, is monet. And the more accurate translation of that probably would be dwelling place. Okay, so this is a place that you dwell. And you would look more at the root word, meno, and that is a place to stay, a temporary temporary lodging. Okay, so think of it as like a hostel. Do you know what hostels are? More of like a like a, a hotel. Okay, let's we'll just say a hotel that other people stay in, and you kind of hotel maybe, with an S thrown in. Yeah, so it's more of like it's a stage in the trip of a journey, not the final destination. And I would like to compare this to to the uh, verse twenty three in this chapter. Are you implying that heaven is not our final resting place? That's the question that I want to state. Is this even heaven? Let me let me say this. Because verse 23, it says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he and we will come to him and make our home with him. So home, I guess in the sense of like dwelling the presence of God, 
is with us now because God is dwelling within our hearts because we ask him to come because we believe in him and trust in him and obey him. So he makes home with us in our hearts. He doesn't open up our left ventricles or nothing like that and puts down a little sleeping bag in my blood pumping muscle. He doesn't do that. But he does dwell within us. His presence dwells with us. So here, what exactly is this dwelling place here? So is this even heaven? Because it's not made mention. He doesn't say this is heaven. This is just a mansion, a dwelling place. I mean, I don't, I can't think of it being any other thing other than like a description of, of heaven since... Mm-hmm. He's not really waxing prophetical here, so there's no, like, revelation talk of, like, new heaven, new earth. Like, that's, I, I severely doubt that that's what he's getting into. So, I think this is just an example of Jesus trying to explain something in a way that might actually land on human ears. Like, saying, hey, in my father's house, like, they know what a house is, all right, uh, are many rooms. Now, does that mean that, the, that heaven literally just has this big old house that's, like, a house that God built, and there's a bunch of rooms in there. I mean, maybe. I mean, there's no one really. But then also that, that statement, we're humanizing basically a spirit because God is spirit. So it's just like, yeah. so does God actually have rooms yeah, set aside? Exactly. But yet Jesus does say that he, he is going to prepare a place for us. So is this a literal sense of creating dwelling places? Is this more of like, hey, I'm going to send a comforter so I can dwell with you? Yeah. I think it can go two ways of the sense like he's meaning two different he's meaning one action but yet there's multifaceted ways of how it's accepted of like I'm going to dwell with you in the presence and then I'm actually going to create a place for you because Paul does say to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord so but yet does your body your body doesn't ascend to heaven after you die but it's just your spirit your spirit doesn't need a couch yeah, I'd, I'd say it's Casper does. him using words that would be more likely to be slightly mm-hmm. sort of understood by humans. Because, I mean, when you take it back to, like, the, the mansion talk, because, I mean, there's countless old school hymns out there that talk about flying away to a literal mansion. Like, for one, good, good job shoving, like, materialism into I'm more worried about the religion. and pearly gates like, than I am the one that actually saved me from death. Like, who, who we glorifying here? God or his bank account that may or may not exist? Like, come on. Um, this whole idea that heaven needs to meet our humanly expectations is just kind of weird. Like, it, of course it's a mansion. Why wouldn't it be? Well, I challenge that with why would it be? Like, does it looking like your modern... American view of success like affect your ability to glorify the Lord mm-hmm. well I just want to make mention too we can move on from this but yeah, the, I think the whole conversation like uh, the term mansions a lot of people don't like that term but yeah I don't think there's anything wrong with using it because if God is going to do something if Jesus is going to do something he's going to do it well and to me a mansion is something that is done well oh, it, yeah. if it's if it's literal or metaphorical it doesn't really matter but yet whatever Jesus does he does it right so when he says he's preparing for us a place i also think of like if mason if i'm com- coming over to your house do you love me do you love me sometimes okay but <laughs> sometimes <laughs> if i'm coming over to your house and if you love me, what are you going to do? You're going to clean the house. You're going to prepare, you know, a supper for me in the sense of, like, you're going to get your fine china. You're going to barbecue a big old roast. You know, you're going to prepare some, You're going to prepare for my arrival, basically. 
if you love me, you know, for friends. Uh, I mean, that's what, you know, when people get married, you know, the arrival of a union between two people, they feast, you know. So, I mean, Jesus, what he's doing here, he's he, because he loves us, he's preparing a welcome uh, just like we would any other person here. So, verse 3 it can give it verse three. It gives a, a threefold picture of the resurrection. I believe the Holy Spirit arriving and the second coming at the end of the age. Uh, read verse three one more time here. Uh, verse three states, "And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also." So here he's also giving further hope and assurance of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, and this is part of the Trinity conversation that we talked about. But most can give the conclusion here, if we talk about either, is it Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit? Is he talking about the resurrection from the dead? Is he talking about uh, the final coming of his second return? Whatever it is. The conclusion can be made that the reference is towards the end of the age when he comes finally. And Jesus will come again and receive us to join us with himself to be come together again. You know, kind of like the, uh, I don't want to say the, the prodigal son because you know those that believe in him they're not technically lost but it's like a okay we're basically a colony outside of god's kingdom correct we are ambassadors away so it's like let's think back in the 17 1600s when the pilgrims came over which that's i can't when the pilgrims come over <laughs> no no think of think of it as a kingdom okay and there's a colony outside of that kingdom but yet it is functioning by the law and the rule of that king within that kingdom outside of that kingdom. So it's a colony that is obeying the laws and the rules of that king. Humans on earth is like that colony that is obeying what Christ has told us to do. And so what this final returning is, is that Jesus coming for his colony, that he's taking his spiritual forever heaven to a physical realm and reuniting them again. Does that make sense? Sounds like good old-fashioned holy annexation. Fail. That was a fail joke. Listen, I can't help because you we, vocabulary. I'm sorry. My vocabulary is terrible. There is one thing that I heard from a preacher probably about like eight years ago about this, though. And I'm not totally against it. It's a lot, a lot of science, though. But you know me. I love my science. Um, so when you think about the house, the Father's house, okay, it's the place where... The place where the Father dwells. Well, where does God the Father dwell? Everywhere. Because He is all things. He knows all things. He is in all places. He is omnipresent. So, that's the whole universe, is it not? Well, we start thinking about that. Okay, so the whole universe is His house. He can dwell everywhere. Well, then, the whole universe, there are many mansions. Well, what's within the universe? we got all of these, probably hundreds of galaxies. How, how many different solar systems and planets and stuff like that. So I heard a preacher say, you know, who's to say I can't have my own planet out there in one of those other galaxies? It's God's. He made it. I, I can see that. That That is an interesting thought. That's an interesting thought because, I mean, I'm not going to say I 100% agree, but it's just an interesting concept of because, I mean, if, if you, let's just say you're an astrologer or a scientist or an astronaut. I mean, space, I love space. I mean, I watch Star Trek. It's It's freaking awesome. Star Wars. Come on. But that Star Wars is, you know, more of wars than trekking. Whoa. <laughs> Star Wars is about what? 
Force <laughs> in the stars. And Star Trek is more attractive. She's going to tell me Mission Impossible is about a bunch of missions that are, in fact, impossible. What? <laughs> anyways, anyways. But yet, I can, I can see that because, like, if you worship God in a way that is very in, in nature and natural and in, in, in a nature sense, like, I like hiking. What's to say that God doesn't say, hey, go make me a trail? Hey, won't you, you know, worship me in this way? I, I, I That's an interesting concept that I'm not completely against. But it just sounds, yeah, it, it sounds very, I mean, no one wants to say you, it can't be. It can't be. Yeah. So what I'm getting from this is we need to build the biggest space shuttle ever. Call it the USS Babel and take <laughs> it to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Who's with me? We can get Musk on this. Someone, someone tweeted uh, it. Let's, let's get it. I don't, I don't, Come on. I can't, I can't jump on board with that. I can't jump on board with that. <laughs> Uh, but basically, you know, the kingdom of heaven is reuniting with its king. So we are basically ambassadors of God and that we are working in a colonial sense to change the world by his law and by his love. And when he does return, he's going to reunite with us physically. So I, I, that, that's one thing that he's giving hope to these disciples that they just feel lost. So let, let's get back on, tra- back on track, not Star Trek. Because we've chased a big old rabbit trail there. That, that, was, that was a good rabbit trail, though. Yeah. Um, in just a few more verses down, Jesus, he's been, uh, he gives that, that hopeful message of, like, don't, don't be heartbroken. Don't be troubled in your heart. But he is also, like, being, he's being clear-cut. Like, he's not going to um, pull his punches necessarily. Because you have in verse 5, uh, Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How, how can we know the way? And then Jesus kind of lays it down for him. Uh, in verse 6, he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And, of course, that doesn't exactly land where it should in Philip's brain. So Philip says to him in verse uh, 8, says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. So you can see him trying to... Uh, to understand, like, oh, oh, clearly I need, I need to meet this father individual, so show him to us, Lord. Uh, in verse 9, Jesus said to him, here, here we go, y'all ready? Y'all ready for sassy Jesus? Because we're about to get it. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father, and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. So there you, uh, you have a bit of a, a spicy comeback. There, there is a little bit, a little, little pinch of spice in this chapter. We have Jesus saying, dude, I just, if you know me, you know the Father. Like, mm-hmm. have you really been hanging out with me for these couple years we've been together and, like, you, you don't know me? Is that, is that what you're telling me? Uh, that's, which, that's such a, um, trying to put myself in, in the disciples' sandals here. That is very difficult to wrap your head around. Yeah. Because they do have a prerequisite understanding of who God is. Like, the Old Testament does provide a pretty solid description of who this God individual is. That's why yeah. their religion exists up to this point. Um, so then you have Jesus, like, connecting the dot between the Father and him and saying, if you know me, then you know the Father, because I am my Father. Like that, that that is hard to wrap your mind around. So credit where it's due, Philip did try his best. Well, let's go back to the the conversation between Thomas too. 
Because I think that's interesting, too, because Jesus, he says that, and, and I, I, I read in some other manuscripts that, you know, that some manuscripts say that, and you know where I'm going, and you know the way. So Jesus is saying, you know where I'm going. You know, I've taught it to you, and you know the way to get there. And Thomas, I, I, I think we should applaud and give him credit where credit's due of his honesty. I think we need to be honest sometimes, because some of the things that Jesus says, we just need to be honest with him. He basically, Thomas says, okay... Jesus, uh, where's the map? You know, where are you going? What city are you going to? How can we know the way if you don't tell us where you're going? I mean, punch it in the GPS. I'll follow you, Jesus, but it's just, where are you going? So they were thinking on a material sense, and Jesus was thinking on a very higher plane of, of, of what he's talking about here, talking about death. And then later on, when the Holy Spirit comes to reveal what, understanding the way. And then he says that wonderful statement. What's that? The, one of the best, my, my favorite verses is that, you know, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. So there he puts the GPS coordinates in for Thomas right then and there. So I think that's a very interesting uh, statement. So what do you think about that verse, uh, Mason, about I'm the way, the truth, and the life? Is that even important to uh, Christian theology for us? I think that should be your, your foundation. Okay. Because um, if you don't truly really understand who Jesus is, you can become how a lot of these other religions see Jesus as just another, or just as a person, mm-hmm. you know, not the son of God or, you know, the son of man and all these other things. Uh, you can just think Jesus was a just somebody who came like John the Baptist or back like Jonah, you know, or somebody, just another prophet, just another good person. But, I mean, to truly understand who Jesus is, he is the way, he is the only way. And because of that, he speaks the truth, the only truth, nothing but the truth, you know, and life. The only way you're going to get life is by going his way, mm-hmm. you know, through him. So if you don't believe these three basic ideas of who Jesus was, the truth, the life, and the only way, then we need to get a few things straightened out. So we've, we've already made within John many, he's, Jesus made many I am statements. You know, I'm the shepherd. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Well, I'm just. Well, I, I, I was. I Rabbi, teacher. Yeah, there's many I am statements, and and they're so going man. blank. I'm the good shepherd. Yeah, so my goodness, my mind is going blank on all the times he says I am. I'm the light. That, that was the most the recent one. Uh, but here Jesus says I am these. I am these things. So I want. Do you think that if he takes, if you take away all the things that he said before, let's just say he didn't say those. I am the shepherd. I am the light. And we just have this right here. Do you think that's all we need? I think so. Because the others follow suit because of these. Mm -hmm. They're little small little uh, uh, bedazzles. Mm -hmm. I mean, he would be no less who he is if he didn't clarify those things. It would just Mm -hmm. be more on us to, like, trust him anyway. And I think it was interesting what you said, too, because, like, I remember when we were in Israel, we were in a cab, all, all the preacher dudes in a cab with, you know, an Orthodox Jew. Uh, well, maybe not an Orthodox Jew. He didn't have the curlicues and the top hat. It was more just, he was he was a Jew that still practiced his, his beliefs, a traditional Jew, we'll say that. Mm-hmm. And we got in the conversation of Christ. Lo and behold, let's talk about the Messiah here. Yeah, that's awesome. He didn't believe he was the Messiah, but yet he believed he was a good man and a good teacher. And I'm just thinking, if you think he's a good teacher, but you don't believe that he's Messiah, 
then he can't be telling the truth. You know, and he can't be the way and he can't be the life because if, if one of those elements of the I'm the way, the truth, and the life, if one of those fail, then the whole thing collapses. So I think that C.S. Lewis said it right. It's like Jesus was either lunatic, liar, or Lord. He was one of the three. And you can't just take one. You can't say he's a good teacher and like, man, he's, he's great. And then if he's a liar, then he's not a good teacher. He's, he's lying to me, so that's not a good teacher. And if he's a lunatic, then I shouldn't trust him. He's got to be one of the three. And I think you're exactly right, Mason, that if, if this I'm the way, the truth, and the life is co- like a core pillar foundation, foundation of pillar are two different things, but yet it, it holds the whole faith together of who Jesus is. And if one of those things collapses, which, hint, hint, it doesn't, because guess what? He is the way, the truth, and the life. Then... It will suddenly, then it will solidify his legitimacy. There you go. That, that's the word I was looking for. That's good. Continuing. Uh, one thing that comes to mind uh, whenever disciples are over here asking Jesus questions, it's easy to kind of give them crap. Be like, wow, could you like ask a more obvious question? Like, you, you should know this. If you've been hanging out with Jesus as long as. Uh, you supposedly have been, according to Scripture. Like, you, you should know this stuff. But I kind of, again, trying to put myself in their sandals. If you have access to Jesus, would you not just be never-endingly pounding him with questions? Because, dang, I'd like to think that I would be. I'd, I'd be asking him, I, Jesus gets sick and tired of me, son. I'd be asking him so many stinking questions. Like, Jesus, tell what what should I eat for breakfast? <laughs> What should I be asking this dude? What am I going to eat for breakfast next month? Exactly. Like, I, I can't even imagine the questions I'd ask him. Oatmeal and grits. Oatmeal and grits. Well, I mean, if you, should, if you say so, Lord. If you say so. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm allergic to grits, but you know what? I'll take your word for it. No, God is a God that eats bacon. <laughs> wait. Wait, hold on. Jesus didn't eat bacon, but... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. That's the real, real, real reason he uh, fulfilled the law. He just wanted to eat some stinking bacon. <laughs> that's that's why he came down. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Uh, but yeah, it it just makes me think. I'm sure that there are plenty of other, even stupider questions that his disciples were asking. But I mean, can you blame them? Ask no. ask as many questions as you can fit into the time you have on this earth. If you actually have access to Jesus in the flesh, goodness. <sighs> but yeah, that's just um, a fun little thought out of the mind of Matthew. No, I don't really have anywhere to go with that. Well, I sympathize. Well, I sympathize with disciples yeah. asking questions. I want to point out, well, I want to say one more thing about the way, the truth, and the life. One more little point that I want to make out because I think this is this is coming within the church and I think this is something important. That this is a direct attack, the way, the truth, and the life, when Jesus says this, this is a direct attack towards pluralism. Within, and I think it is sometimes it comes inside the church, more of like the uh, for for the listener. Explain what what pluralism is. So pluralism is the belief that there are many ways to God. I can be a Buddhist and get right with God. I can be a Muslim and get right with God. I can touch crystals and be right with the spirit and transcend and be right with God. So there's many ways. There's a thousand ways to God. So I think this directly destroys that statement and that idea when Jesus says, I am the way. 
you know, and and, that, and I think that's important because there has been a lot of ways. I think that we can get in danger of that, of like, my works is a way to get to God. Guess what? No. Jesus says he's the way, and it's completely, offensively exclusive, and it, sh- it should offend us. I believe pluralism's also been referenced as, like, bicycle wheel theology, like the whole idea. On the spokes. All, yeah, all the yeah. different spokes. That's why, like, I don't like that song prayer will keeps on turning because it's like that's a that's a hindu belief I've never heard prayer that will song. just a little talk with jesus yeah just a little talk with jesus uh, a little prayer will turning it's like just a, that's a of, hindu thing man what's oh what's the wheel in the sky keeps on turning that's a song. that's a journey that's a journey the journey. wheel in the sky keeps on turning no that that's, that's a journey worst, that's that's some praise and worship music right there oh my <laughs> anyway, before i get any more heretical uh, next little clump of verses we have, verses 11 through 14 to continue reading says, again, Jesus speaking, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So two, okay, we, we, two, two verses in specific. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting too, and I think this is where I think we can kind of, uh, this can get a little dicey here. This could be a little spicy uh, because there's some, uh, I believe that we've kind of misused what Jesus is saying here. Um, especially when it talks about whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So, what do y'all think when he says that? Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Do you think that he's only referring to the disciples? Do you think he's referring to all believers? Do you think he's referring to the future believers? What in the world is he talking about? Whatever you ask. What is the whatever? And what does he mean by I will do it? I think he means all of the above, then reason. Okay. I think it comes down to the heart. Because I mean, it's like when Jesus says, if you have faith the size of mustard seed, like just tell him how to move, and it will. But... When's the last documented case of someone telling a mountain to move and it obliged? Yeah. Don't think that's really a thing. So it's one of those things like if you're if your heart is in the right spot, for one, like if someone's heart is in the right place asking like Where's the God, right like, place? Hey, Where's the right place? You say, Oh, if your heart's in the right place and Well yeah, that, that's so what argument. what's the right place? Well I mean I'll well shoot Tanner. I was gonna I was gonna get to that. Well get to shoot. that. Come on. I mean, if your heart's in the right place, for one, you're not just going to ask God to do something and leave it at that. Like, you're going to ask God to, like, lead you in the right direction as you strive to get that done for the glorification of his kingdom. And you're going to get some work done in God's name. Amen. So, this idea that God's giving, or that Jesus, God, whatever, he's all the above. (laughs) Jesus is giving us blanket permission to just, like, use him as our butler as our instant miracle service, yeah. more or less. Be like, now I'm saying this in God's name, and I'm a, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, so it's going to happen because I have faith that it's going to happen. Like, that's that's not the way that you need to approach it. Like, Jesus himself makes it exceedingly clear, like, you got to do the work. Yeah, I think that when he's, when he's saying here, I think there's some underlying... Uh, there's underlying little asterisks that people forget to, to apply this to. When we say these things in his name, it should be according to his character and his will and to his authority. So when we pray, you know, God, allow this to happen, it shouldn't be for what I want it to happen. 
God, allow this move and allow this mountain to move. Is it for my sake or is it for the Lord's sake? And so back to the will aspect, we should pray constantly for my heart to be aligned with his heart. So when, when we ask God of, some, of a certain thing, it has to be within his will, not my will. Do you agree with that, or is that just me speaking? Yeah, I mean that for no reason. I mean, I, yeah, I agree. Okay, so the phrase in my name, do you, a lot of people use this as like a magic incantation of prayer, and it's like an, if you use in my name and Jesus' name, you know, you got to say in Jesus' name, and it's gonna it's gonna happen. A lot of people use this as like it's like the the icing on the cake that makes it cake. So do you? I'm not saying, like, I, we pray in Jesus' name, and I agree with this, and I do, but yet I think a lot of people use it as, like, I'm getting the Lord's ear now. You know, I, I use that. It's, 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 it's like a, I use that as a hocus-pocus type thing, like, that leg is going to heal up in Jesus' name type deal thing. What, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I can tell you something from personal experience as far as, like, how something goes like this, because when you say in His name, yeah, a lot of people want to say, it's just say in Jesus' name. And there you go. Bada boom, everything's done. Wrong. Um, I hate to break it to you, but uh, that's good and all. should be done. But uh, that's not the whole story. And here's where I'm going with that, saying uh, as far as personally with some experience on my hand, uh, when I was really looking for like my, the calling, like what am I supposed to do? You know, Am I supposed to teach? Am I supposed to go overseas and be like a missionary or be a home missionary like or a preacher you know what am I supposed to do and for those that don't know I, I am a preacher uh, but before that happened like before I you know the Lord revealed that to me I was you know kind of back and forth with it I was like are, are you sure because you know preaching is something you don't just take up and do it's you know it's it, not a hobby and yeah it's not yeah it's not just a hobby you know <laughs> take up and Try it out and see how you go. No, it's it's something to be taken very seriously. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, trying to figure out if that's really what I was supposed to do, uh, you know, I was you know all the time. You know, people say you know pray in Jesus' name and you know He'll help you. And there was a sermon, I believe, I know it was during church, uh, during church camp about uh, how long have I been a preacher? Two years ago now, two or three years now. I don't even know. <laughs> so something like that. Two years now. So probably about three years ago. There was a sermon preached, and the whole gist of it was you, you, you're looking for something in your life, you know. You're looking for a calling. You're looking for, you know, God to move in your life, and it just doesn't seem like things are doing it. But are you asking that while living a, a worldly life? You know, are you, you know, are you saying, I believe the Bible. You know, like Matthew said earlier, I believe the Bible, and I pray in Jesus' name, and you're going to do it because I said so. Or is it... No, you're, I'm a God-fearing Christian, one that actually believes in God, you know, one that's living that daily life, one that's, you know, tr- trying to do the best they can every single day for them, for God, not themselves, you know, not just living your worldly life. You're laying your life down every day and trying to live for Christ. At that point, you don't wish for things on your own anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would it be controversial to say that the Christian who would actually be able to invoke the name of the Lord will never do it. Because I think I, I would agree with that, and because I mean, you were in a state of mind of like, 
I pray in Jesus' name, I, I, I want you to reveal yourself to me and tell me what I need to do instead of actually being obedient to the Lord's will and kind of almost remaining silent in a sense of like, I'm willing to listen and to obey you with humility instead of like, listen to what I got to say in Jesus' well, name. Because I mean, I mean, y'all have known my temperament and you know, I don't usually try to force, I definitely don't try to force myself, especially like when we record, y'all yeah. are all the time trying to say something, say something, you know, stuff like that. So like I try, I, yeah. I try to stay back in a lot of things, and that was one thing I tried to stay back in a lot of things about. But I feel like for a lot of other people, you, you want something that you think is good, and it is good. You know, you, you want healing for somebody, you know, and God can get glory out of that, and that's absolutely true. You know, how many testimonies do we know personally just from people saying, you know, God healed them of cancer or, you mm-hmm. know, saved them from a freak accident that they, from looking at our eyes, should have died from, you know, different things like that. And all those things are great and can be used in everything, but it's not like that everybody and where I'm trying to go with this is you know for me it was kind of like yes I want to do good with it but I kind of want to keep doing my thing as well a lot of times when we say Lord I want this done in your name yeah it's a good thing but you keep wanting you want to keep doing it your way like how you brought it up yeah like I want to mm-hmm. I want to go my way with it you know I want it just because it, it, it fits my agenda so let's what, what if a lot of times it seems like when we pray we say Lord I want to do what you've called me to do in Tanner's name. Amen. I think we pray like like that sometimes. We I might think, as well sometimes. Yeah. We want to pray in our name. It's on my benefit. It's like what I want to do. Lord, mm-hmm. you answer to me. You don't answer to me. I'm, I'm sorry. We God doesn't answer to us. And no. I think that's what a lot of times we get wrong with this is that when we say pray in Jesus' name, we need to make sure it's like if we pray in Jesus' name, we need to be equal with his will and be aligned parallel with what mm-hmm. his standard and his authority is. You know, and I'll use this like and not to lift myself up in any way, but especially when people say like, oh, I've got a family member that's sick or that's hurt and they need prayer. Mm-hmm. And of course, like, of course, I'm going to pray for them. But I always add in, you know, Lord, not our will, not what the Lord's will. Yeah. You know, it. We, we hope and we pray and we ask that you heal this person. But, Lord, if it's not, help them to know that that's your will. Because like, that's me, okay. Let me point this out. And I think with, with the, the sickness that's been going around within the world lately, I've had uh, friends and family that have hold to this theology of, like, you pray it in the Lord's name and you will receive it. So what's going to happen if that one individual has covid or some form of sickness, and you pray in Jesus' name, allow that COVID to be removed, and they die. That weakens your idea of like, I guess Jesus isn't doesn't have authority over this. I guess if I don't pray in Jesus' name, is my faith weak? Or if I don't pray in if if since I prayed in Jesus' name, am I not even a believer? If I don't, if I pray in Jesus' name, does he is God even real? Mm-hmm. So it's very dangerous when we have that idea of like. It's really hard for some people to take a no as an answer. Yeah. But especially when they read scripture like this that says, you know, pray in my name and it will be done. But what does in my name really mean? And that and my whole kind of tied up in a bow, I'm gonna to try to wrap this up with, at least my part. If you're really praying it in his name, you're praying in his will. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're not praying yes. in your own will. And here's where I'll kind of go with that, just uh, one little thing because you how you brought that up. If a family member dies, uh, you know, God uh, it doesn't have power over that. Well, no, God's going to let people die. Sorry to break that to you. You're going to die. I'm going to die. I know I'm very blunt about this, but I mean, that's, that's life. I don't, I don't know how else to 
Yeah, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. <laughs> yeah, it's actually death. Yeah, it's so death. It's not. It's not life. Yeah. You're talking about that death. So, but the thing is, Jesus allowed Lazarus to stay dead. We looked at that just a couple chapters ago, mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. If y'all haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. Spoiler alert: Jesus waited two days because he knew Lazarus was going to die, and then he goes and well, Lazarus has been dead four days, and what Martha's just throwing a big old fit. Lord, uh, and we know you could have saved him. Could have, but you know you you let him die. Well, I mean. Plot twister, Jesus rose him from the dead, but I mean, what happened? Lazarus had to die again. You're mm-hmm. gonna skip your favorite verse? Oh, yeah, Jesus wept. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people just want to think, you know, they can't take no as an answer, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to things like that. We prayed it in your name, yeah. Well, was it sometimes self- God says no. Was it selfish reasons? And okay, even if it's not, sometimes the answer is no. Yeah. And it's because His wills are greater than ours. His will is greater than ours. Okay. Have either of y'all ever read the, the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes? Yes top notch it's, it, I love the tiger this conversation that, uh, that we've been having or well what you've been saying Mason it brought to mind one comic strip or, are you at least familiar with Calvin Hobbes I got a shake of the head from you Mason do you, do you know what Maybe. it is it's the tiger and the little boy like it's a stuffed tiger and it comes to life no. to his imagination okay well no. anywho uh, it's the, all the, the different comic strips it's told from the point of view of this small child who has a very overreactive uh, imagination and his parents come into the come into the panels every once in a while too and do their little cameos uh, but mainly it's just the kid his stuffed tiger that he brings to life with his imagination and his parents and in one particular comic that came to mind as you were uh, talking was a very short comic as most of these are in which Calvin's house or Calvin's parents house however you want to frame it gets broken into and they're, they're robbed and they come into their house and see that they have all these possessions missing. There's a broken window, and you have Calvin freaking out, being like, "What? How, how does this happen?" And the last panel of it, uh, Calvin's dad is saying, "This is the sort of thing that you always just assume will happen to somebody else." Or no, his mom says that, and then the dad replies and says, "Well, everyone is somebody else to somebody else." And that just makes me think of like if you in your shoes, if you have like a family member that gets sick. Like obviously, you don't want them to die. You're you're gonna pray to God. You're gonna you're gonna make demands more or less. And it's not out of like this um, expectation that, that God is your butler and He's just gonna show up and give you that miracle on a silver platter and you can just apply it as a topical ointment to your family member and then boom, they're good and that's just how it works. No, that that's just that is out of love for that family member. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, it's your actions that come after maybe you don't get what you were asking for. No, other people die. The people in my yeah. life don't get to die. So I, I can sympathize with that mentality. And I think this whole chapter boils, it, it goes down back to verse 1 when Jesus does say, no, let, let not your hearts be troubled. Yeah. And, 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 and believe in God and believe also in me. And I think that's, that's, that's a core verse in this whole chapter. Yeah. So uh, continuing on, because that was definitely a, a fantastic uh, conversation there. Um, verse 15 he, st- he talks about the uh, word vomit a high expectation for his followers yes. okay so he says if you love me you will keep my commands you will keep my commandments and this is almost reminiscent to Matthew chapter 22 verses 36 through 38 when the, the Pharisees try to trick Jesus of like okay Jesus what's the greatest command and Jesus says to love the Lord God with all thy heart soul mind and strength 
then the second is just like the first, to love thy neighbor as thyself. And so if you love God, you will keep his commands. This is what Jesus commands. So the if, I think, is contingent to man's will. It's up to us if we are going to obey what he says. And the keep is a result of that desire to stay within his will. So we will keep his commands if we love God. We will not keep his commands if we do not love God. And that goes back to the prayer thing too. It's like, if we're not loving God, if we're not loving the way that he has told us to love, then a lot of times everything, it's going to mess our whole theology up. It's going to mess everything up. So if we don't love God, we will not, if we don't love God, we will not keep his commandments and then everything just falls apart. But Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And then he promises a comforter, a helper in the time of need. And he will dwell with us, dwell in us and give us peace uh, that surpasses all understanding. And then the Holy Spirit gets brought into the equation. And he says in verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Hamburger helper makes a great meal. What? To be with, <laughs> to be with you forever. Sorry. Get every, the bingo dude, card. He made a food time, reference. Every time I see helper, I really think hamburger helper. I don't know why. I don't know if that's just like the age that I was brought up in, and you saw the little glove hand with hamburger helper. Please tell me, Mason, you've had hamburger helper. Not had it, but I know it. You've never had hamburger. Help. Wait, hold up. What? <laughs> All right. Okay, Heresy. now I'm on board. What? Heresy. <laughs> How? One of these days, we'll bring hamburger helper in here, and you will eat it. It's just basically noodles, cheese. Yeah. What? What did you eat? <laughs> My mother like, I mean, cooked full out meals just about every day. I mean, I don't mean to throw that around. Like, Where's your mom live? Because I'm gonna, I mean, and Spencer. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> go over there and get some good meat. Good. Good meals. Man, when we get this cross-training bingo card, the free space is uh, going to be Tanner brings The up things food. that Mason doesn't do, <laughs> never have, have eaten. But the Holy Spirit's brought in the conversation, is brought into the equation. And this statement is, is one wonderful example of the Trinitarian idea of God. You know, Jesus doesn't go out and plainly state the Trinitarian idea between the God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's woven into the fabric of the New Testament. And Jesus didn't intend to give a complicated lecture. He's a teacher, but he didn't give he didn't desire to give a complicated idea of the Trinity. But he simply spoke of how the persons of the Trinity interact and work for the good of God's people and the furtherance of his plan. And I think that's important to know that sometimes we just overcomplicate things, but yet here he plainly states, I will give you a helper, a comforter in the time of tribulation, trial, and pain. Another interesting detail, in verse 16, when Jesus says uh, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, referencing the, the Holy Spirit there. Um, now, obviously, this translation isn't one-to-one because, well, Hebrew and Greek aren't the same language. Um, news, I know, intense. Um, but helper there is more or less the same word used to describe Eve in Genesis when it's described that man must be given a helper. Um, again, Hebrew, Greek, not the exact same language, so this isn't a one-to-one, like, literally same word, but mm-hmm. in essence, like, the same word is being used there. Yes. So if anyone ever wants to demean women, slap them with this verse and be like, get out of here, heretic. Women are helpers. Daggum right. And men are 
And helper is not the word today that it was back then. No, it's like, not. Let's also make that clear. It's like there when, is no. It's not an oppress. It helper is not an oppressive exactly name. I mean, shoot, Jesus' entire ministry is making that clear. Yeah, and it's uh, it also brings to mind not to get down this rabbit hole too far, but it's like in. Uh, Genesis when God describes his creation as being good we would probably use a different word to describe that stuff now like good yeah. it's a pretty weak word today by English standards so yeah just wanted to little little fun fact there so I think this is also comforting too in verse 18 he says I will not leave you as orphans so another question is were we orphans to begin with mm, couldn't that just be seen as like uh, metaphor. I mean, because we know. Well, we're I mean, that's orphans. what I'm saying. I'm saying, it, yeah. what's the what's the metaphor? Like of? we're abandoned, without hope, without someone to to lead us. We're. I mean, we're like sheep. I mean, that that's mm-hmm. that could also fit there. Like, yeah. uh, I will not leave you as lost sheep. I will come to you because I'm the good shepherd. Like yeah. that could also be that verse. Yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's a beautiful. Uh, not not to naysay, yeah. you, but like that's just what I read out. Of. I, I think that's just an interesting uh, conversation there. But yet, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Get a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, and you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. What? <laughs> verse 20 is a little confusing there, but I think that's it's, we need to break that down here a second. But whoever, verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So... Jesus, he talks about the Holy Spirit coming in, and he talks about you know his 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 death will bring orphans back to the Father. Now, verse twenty, he says, uh, "In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you." He's basically saying, if you believe, we're all going to be unified back to what it was in the very beginning. I'm going to walk with you. The Father's going to walk with you. You'll be with us, and we will basically be an extension of the holy arm of Christ upon this earth next up we have some scripture that um i don't know if it's just the way that i read it or not but it made me laugh when i was reading it yesterday uh verse 22 starts off judas in parentheses not a scary it's like that it's most in most manuscripts i saw i saw that too i was like is that just the csb that i'm reading but it's in the king james too that's saying not a scary i mean that that is an important distinction to make don't get me wrong but i just i love that like I, i just try to imagine john writing this stuff out like i wonder if he like wrote that specifically or if later he's like oh crap i should probably specify that that's not i don't know i just well, judas judas already left yeah true but still he like just to make sure the, the reader doesn't get confused yeah. there i don't know i know that's just me reading too far into it but, but re, re, yeah go ahead and read judas's interesting question for jesus yeah. so it's just verse 22 mm-hmm. okay uh, so judas not iscariot said to him lord how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world which beautiful question that uh, we don't really get a super straight answer. Not really. Um, Just like any other yeah. statement that Jesus makes, yeah. <laughs> he makes it kind of. Now, huh? do you, why do you think it is that we don't think that Jesus answered that? Because maybe Jesus did, and we just don't really have the capacity to wrap our minds around it. Maybe this is one of those instances in which we're still in the shoes of the disciples that we just can't really. Like when Jesus responds to that, it doesn't click in our minds as being a response to that, but maybe it was. Does that make sense? Because I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I understand what he meant, but yeah, no, just food for thought. Because for what it's worth, uh, Jesus' answer to that, um, he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. So I don't reckon anyone at this table gets anything from that. I mean, kind of. Mm, What's your kind of? Bless me with holy knowledge. Holy kind of knowledge? How will you manifest yourself with us? I'm assuming Judas is many his disciples, or, you know, his people, and not to the world. Well, Jesus, in simpler terms, from how I'm reading this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, for once, feel fairly comfortable in my interpretation of it is, you know, if he loves me, you keep my word, and the Father will love him. And we, who Jesus has already mentioned the helper before, Mm -hmm. and he's talking about the Father as well again, will make our home in him and that person. Him and us. Yes. So when somebody, when when God comes into somebody, that means you're one of his. (laughs) God doesn't come in and live with, you know, people who reject him. Yeah. You know, you have to let him in. And so once he's made his way in, he's manifest himself within us, in air quotes, you know, as to answer Judas's question, but not the world. Well, it's because the world does not love Jesus, does not love God. They do not keep his words. And because of that, you know, they are not manifest. They are not living within them, the world, you know, the people of the world. Um, he do not, does not love me, does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So Jesus is, what Jesus had just said, about coming in and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus is is assuring them, like, I'm not just telling you this. The Father has told me to tell you. So, you know, so Jesus is making sure that they know that this is coming from God the Father, saying we will live with him. We will take our home with him who keeps our word and trust it. So Christ is dwelling with us. Correct. So the home of Jesus dwells within us. Like with him, yes. Okay. So, and I told, I'm, I, and I know you're going with this. I and I think you would, I think, I think you would agree with me because this, this sounds like the path you're going. Is that we are the ones that are revealing Christ to the world? Is that what you were saying? Because that's what I got out of that verse. Is like, you know, if if this is the question, if Jesus is answering the question, Lord, why are you revealing yourself to us but not to the whole world? Jesus is basically saying, I've got you to reveal me to the world. Because if I'm dwelling within you and we are a direct reflection of Christ and the Great Commission says to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, then we should be the one that's revealing Jesus to the world. So we, the answer is basically Jesus saying, you, you're the one that's revealing it to the world. That's what I got. Is that kind of where you, the direction you're going? Yeah, basically. Yeah. And I thought, I thought that was just... I mean, his, what was Jesus' greatest commandment? Go out into all nations. Yeah, the, the yeah the Great Commission was that in Great, Matthew. Matthew, some, somewhere in Matthew. Yeah, it was like the last chapter of Matthew. But yeah, go out and share. And so I think that's kind of where Jesus is leading here. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to come within you. Now, you know, they don't love us. We're not going to go uh, to the world. You see if you can speak to them. So in verse twenty-seven, we kind of get a, a little bit of closing here until the uh, to the end of the chapter. And uh, I know this has probably been a, a longer episode, but yeah, it's been some good stuff. But verse 27, he, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, 
do I give to you? Let not your hearts be troubled. Again, he's referring back to verse 1. Neither let them be afraid. Now, peace I live with you. I think this is an interesting peace I leave with you. We, if, if you have heard any kind of uh, Jewish context, any of y'all heard the word shalom? So the word, yes. okay. So the word shalom is a common kind of almost an empty phrase of peace be with you. You know, it's a, also a greeting and also a goodbye and like, you know, peace with you, greetings, peace be with you. you no, know, we'll see you later. So it's, it's, it's a very common greeting for people, but Jesus here took this common greeting and filled it with a deeper context and meaning behind it. And I think this is fascinating that the peace that the Lord leaves is greater than what we, what, what, what he's saying here. So peace I leave with you, my peace. So it's not the world gives my peace. I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So here's a comparison. What is the peace that the Lord leaves versus the peace that the world gives? So what's the contrast there, you think? I think, and this might do it a little bit of disservice, but I'm going to try to boil it down to like really, really simple terms here. Peace in man's eyes, I think, and of course this, this will vary person by person, but again, bear with me. I think it comes down to everyone being able to agree to disagree. Whereas the peace that Jesus offers is a universal objective truth that we can all find rest in. Mm-hmm. Is that decent? I, I don't want to try to like wax philosophical over here. So I'm, I want to keep it like brief. I can see that. Otherwise I'm going to start talking out my butt and that's not gonna be pretty. You have a comment on that Mason? The only thing I can like really come off of it. Um, as far as myself is the world cannot really give you peace. Because the world has no peace to give. Yeah, that's why I was saying, yeah. like, agree to disagree. Like, I don't yeah. think the world is going to be able to, I mean, the world can't find peace without Christ, like, simple as yeah. that. Yes, and so, you know, the only way you're going to find real true peace is, uh, you know, when they, Christ, like you just said. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. And I think the, the way that the world wants to give peace is to remove the problem, you think? Because, like, the way that we try to conditionalize ourselves to having you know the peace symbol and like there's no more war it's more of like removing it but yet the word and where'd the peace symbol come from the v for v day v for v day came from war (laughs) so it's it's interesting so but in scripture the word shalom peace it never means an absence of trouble you know it is it is more of a presence of comfort or contentment within all circumstances. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to get here. And I think within, I think one of my favorite conversations that Jesus, that Jesus has is with Paul himself, the thorn be removed from my side. But yet Jesus says, no, I'm not removing it because it's for my glory. And then Paul's like, okay, I understand this. Now I will glory in this tribulation. Jesus never did promise to remove the painful stuff. Jesus never did re- promise to, to remove the thorns in the flesh. He never did re- promise to remove these things. But yet he said, guess what? I'm bringing you that hamburger helper to bring peace, <laughs> peace upon you. Sorry, I brought I brought some a dirty Tanner, it's okay. Yeah, we, I'm sorry. Food metaphors work for you. You, you can do it. Uh, but that, this, <laughs> not the hamburger helper comment, but uh, what you just said, it does bring to mind like the current situation uh, around the world. Like, 
if you ask like the average individual in America, like what what is going to bring peace in these times of turmoil in uh, this pandemic and in this political situation, all that, depending on what political side of the fence they're going to tell you, oh, when uh, that guy or that other guy uh, wins the presidency and we get a vaccine, then everything will be back to normal and we'll, we'll we will achieve peace. Mm-hmm. Well, depending on what you define peace as, that could be a true statement, but the Christian can attain peace even without those two prerequisites being fulfilled. Like peace is something that you have through your hardships. That's what that's what Jesus offers. That's the difference between the peace that Christ can offer and the peace that people think that they need. Which that goes back to what you said, which is what made me think of this when you said that we think that peace is removing the problem. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in terms of dictionary definitions, sure, yeah. I mean, that's but you're not wrong. But Jesus offers a different, more perfect kind of peace. Yeah. So here to close it up, Jesus talks about his own trouble that's about he's about to face. Understatement of the century. Yeah. Well, the the probably the worst day in human history that he's talking about here is the his own death. But Jesus, he says in verse 30, says, No, I'll, I will no longer talk much with you guys, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. So here's a trouble that he's about to face. Yeah, but he has peace about it because he knows that there's victory over that said thing. That it's like, I have peace about it because I know what's to come. And so, but I do, as the Father has commanded me, I'm obedient to God's will so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go uh, from here. So Jesus, he's basically saying, you know, the ruler of this world, the devil, he's about to get me, but he's got no claim on me. And I think that's a really interesting statement of saying the world, uh, the devil probably thinks I got him now, but Jesus is like, you think he got me, but it's more of like a, it's a trap. It's a trap. So, yeah, I think the the general theme of this of John chapter fourteen, uh, I think you mentioned it at the beginning of this episode, Tanner, when you were talking about the, the end of chapter thirteen having kind of that somber mood, and Jesus started off this chapter by saying that uh, that we don't need to be troubled in our hearts, like peace is still capable of being achieved throughout all this hardship, and I mean that that mood stays consistent throughout this chapter, and then you have again. Um, Jesus making it clear, like, it's it's not going to get easier. Like, things are arguably going to get mm-hmm. quite a bit worse. Like, some things are going to happen that are going to be very confusing. They're going to be heartbreaking. <laughs> there, I said it. Um, it's, it's not going to be fun. But as long as you believe in me, believe in the Father, like, I will send this helper. Like, the, there's this, this overarching message of hope throughout this chapter. Jesus is reassuring his followers that while it's not going not gonna to be easy, it will be worth it, and mm-hmm. peace will be achievable through that. And I think that Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, 54 through 57, and this is kind of like the hope that is given through the the comforter and the helper. He says that death has been swallowed up by the victory. And he says that where where death is your victory and death, where is your sting? You know, this great enemy that's coming to defeat Christ and coming to defeat us, Jesus has given peace with that thing. And so... I'm interested to say or ask this question to a Christian. Are you able to greet death like an old friend? Because then it's like, I'm not scared of death. And I, and I, and I hate it. Like Stephen Hawkins, he said that, you know, Christianity is a fairy tale for those that are scared of death. 
And I'm thinking, no, like even then it's more than just what's after death. It's the present, the past and the future that Jesus has changed everything about humanity and has restored everything and fixed everything, has promised to fix everything. And we are part of that great plan. It's not just, oh, I'm not scared of death. It's something greater than that. I do not fear death. It fears me. Wow. That is the, probably the metalest thing you've said all Well, day. you see, it, it's funny you should say that because that is a quote from uh, lyrics from Song by Impending Doom, a Christian deathcore band. Not a bad group, actually. There, there is my last bit of input for this episode. But so that's that's John chapter fourteen and John chapter fifteen. I hate to to spoil everyone's party, but it does not get any happier. It's going to remain somber, but there still will be that underlying message of peace. I will refrain from tainting the somberness with hamburger helper. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> if it, it, you, your thing is your thing. We're all allowed to have our thing. What we all love each other here. We're able to give each other crap every once in a while, but it's all in love. I mean, we we can make fun of the things I say as well. That's I give you permission, Tanner. I know I say it. I like things. permission. I, I try not to say heartbreaking too many times. I did say it once that I know of, but probably snuck in there a few other times. But anyway, uh, but yeah, we're going to, this somber mood, it's going to continue throughout uh, these chapters. But th- I mean, that's to be expected because you have Jesus' crucifixion coming up. And as we do this slow burn study through the book of John, like it's, it's just so apparent the, again, that, that somber mood, like it's going to persist, but there, there will be victory at the end. I got a, I got a weird feeling guys. I, I don't think we can keep uh, Jesus down. I think he's, I think he's going to win. I think he's going to win. So, but that will be next week with John chapter 15. As always, uh, you can find our email, our uh, social media links. It's all, it's all in the show notes. I'm, I'm very lazy. I don't want to say them. You can just click them and, and you'll get there. So until next week, Tanner, give us those magic words. Peace out.